Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music. I am Tosh. And I'm Kimley. And each episode of Book Music, we discuss a specific book about music. It could be any book, it could be any music, but it has to be a book on music. It could be a memoir by a musician or a music figure or a composer. It could be a biography as well as an autobiography or memoir, as I mentioned. It could even be a fictional character who is a musician. We, we have a large canvas that we work on, don't we, Kimberly? Indeed. And um, today, we're going to focus on something that both of us are deeply interested in, and I think I suspect love. Mm-hmm. And the book is, it's a very fancy title. You might miss the meaning of it. <laughs> it slowly. The Lyrics of Sid Barrett. It was an introduction by Rob Chapman. He wrote a biography on Sid Barrett called A Very Irregular Head. Great title. A great title. And the foreword uh, in this book is by Peter Jenner, who was an early Pink Floyd manager, and even very smartly or very dumb. <laughs> Depending on your point of view. <laughs> when, Sid Barrett, when Sid Barrett left Pink Floyd, he went with Sid Barrett. Yeah, well, that's what I would have done. Uh, I, you me know, too. <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> well, I suspect that his probably bank account is probably <laughs> lower than most uh, decisions that he made. Oh, yeah. What but, are you going to do? But, you know, just in case our listeners, I mean, I pres- we always presume our listeners know as much as we do, but we don't know for sure. Well, they're they're intelligent. They might be like this hardcore metal heads or just into like flute music from the fifteenth century. <laughs> they can't, you know. But you think that's our target audience? <laughs> it might be, but um, <laughs> yes, I get a lot of I get a lot of email from flute players. <laughs> yeah, more flute, more flute. <laughs> Renaissance era. <laughs> but uh, our subject matter today is uh, um, is Sid Barrett, whose original name is Roger Keith Barrett made better known as Sid Barrett. He was born in 1946. He died in 2006. Uh, so he was around, or he was 60 years old when he passed away from uh, cancer, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, he's British songwriter, guitarist, musician. He started or co-started the band, The Pink Floyd. And on the first album, he pretty much wrote the entire album. Um, but I think there were some other contributors, but mostly Sid Barrett. Yeah. And that album was called The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And then there was a second Pink Floyd album called A Saucer Full of Secrets, um, which has a Sid Barrett song and performance. And he may play guitar on a handful of tracks, but he's like here and there in that album. And then he left. Well, I don't think he left. <laughs> I think the story is they forgot to pick him up. On his- yes, yes, that's the story. It's pretty cruel, actually. <laughs> it's, it's kind of amazing how the psychology of, of rock and roll bands, yeah. they, want, they want to remove somebody. It's never like organized. It's sort of like, well, no, well no. I, I thought you said something to him. No, no, I didn't say a word to him about this. Oh, well. Uh, well isn't the story what he was roommates with? Which one of them? I forget which one was his roommate. And then he... He's like, I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes when he had a gig. <laughs> he, yeah. he just didn't take Sid. And then he'd come back four hours later and Sid would be like, where are the cigarettes? <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened was um, uh, Sid Barrett had issues, mental health issues of, of all sorts. Um, and he was 
well, he wasn't asked to leave. He was basically left on the side of the road, in a sense. Right. And uh, between the, the Piper at the Gates of Dawn, the first album, and the second album, A Sauce for False Secrets, which I think fully has Dave Gilmore on it, who right. was the second guitarist of Pink Floyd, uh, was hired to sort of back up Sid Barrett's. Irregularity. <laughs> uh, and 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 Dave Gilmore became uh, a very prominent member of Pink Floyd, you know, to this day, of course. And um, so, what happened was that uh, after Sid Barrett left, <laughs> left uh, after he was after, <laughs> after he departed Pink Floyd, he made two solo albums. Uh, one called The Mad Cat Laughs, and the second album was called Barrett, like as in Sid Barrett, just Barrett. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny that that was the second album. Usually the first album is the one with the person's name. Well, you know, in the world of Sid, things don't go from A to B to C. Exactly. You know, that's not what what he's about. Um, (laughs) I remember, do you remember the first time you heard, like, Sid Barrett or Pink Floyd? Did you hear the first Pink Floyd album first, or did you hear the Sid solo, or? I heard, um, when I was in high school, um, Pink Floyd was huge, Mm -hmm. you know, like Dark Side of the Moon and all that kind of stuff. So that's the first stuff I heard, The Wall. I mean, I remember going to see mm-hmm. the movie. Um, and I, I was never a big Pink Floyd fan. And I didn't know about the early stuff. And I didn't know about Sid Barrett until I started working at Licorice Pizza, the record store that I worked at with you in the 80s. Yes, all the, all, all, all the music fascists that you work with. Yes, yes. So that's when I first got exposed to Sid Barrett and that first Pink Floyd album. And I was like, oh. So did you hear the first Pink Floyd album before Sid or like the same time? Mm, probably around the same time. I don't remember. I yeah. think, I, you know, it was all kind of jumbled together around the same time. I first heard the Pink Floyd album first because it came out in 67 and right. I was, what was I, 12, 13? Uh-huh. And I bought it. I remember buying it or having it in the house when it first came out in okay. America. Did you um, see them at all when they no, were in the U.S.? No. No. I think they, they actually, I, they did play in Los Angeles, I think at the Whiskey. Uh-huh. You know. uh, yeah, I thought they had an L.A. And they were American Bandstand, which is a TV show in America at the time. And right. Yeah, that clip actually exists on yeah. uh, YouTube. I found it. It was actually pretty fun to watch. Yeah. So so Sid and, and the Floyd did a tour of, uh, of America at the time. I didn't see them. But I did buy the album because um, I think, I can't imagine it ever being played on, on radio. I don't, you know, like the big song off the American version of the album is uh, See Emily Play. Right. And I love that song, of course, but yeah. um, I don't, I sort of doubt that I heard it on the radio. I may have, you know, I went to London as a child in 67 and uh-huh. Pink, definitely Pink Floyd in London 67 had a huge presence. I mean, you see their images, you know, and I possibly heard that album or that song uh, in London, either on the radio or in somebody's turntable. Oh, actually, we stayed in a person's house that actually had that record. Now I remember. Ah, uh, okay. Um, this is like a Marcel Proust moment for me right now. Sure. <laughs> so, so I, I heard I heard the first Pink Floyd album in, in in England, and I was so to this day I sort of find England to be a totally exotic, imaginary place almost because uh-huh. I love uh, British culture of all sorts. Uh-huh. And it struck me at the time, I remember like listening to Pink Floyd, like, wow, this is a real English band. I'm in England listening to a real, I'm in London to be more specific. And I'm listening to the, probably the most English music I ever heard in my entire life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was warped. It was kind of strange and eccentric, but that it was my definition as an American Los Angeles, sort of a hippie 
not even a teenager yet, 12 year old. You know, I thought, yeah. I thought when I listened to the Pink Floyd, that Pink Floyd album, I thought, wow, this is like an entranceway to something or a great doorway to somewhere. And, right. you know, and that was that. And then I sort of lost interest when the second album came out. I just, I had no interest. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I wasn't like a Sid Barrett fan. I wasn't even a hardcore Pink Floyd album. It's something that I thought, wow, I'm in England. I love this band. I love, but in truth, it was just, it was just sort of a, um, a tourist mentality. I, I didn't. Right. You know, it was an of the moment kind of thing. Yeah, it was, it was definitely of a moment of a place. And you know, I bought it when it, I bought the American because the American British edition is slightly different. Yeah. And I bought Wasn't the apples and oranges, the big single that they were trying to push here, but never really made it. I, that's a good question. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I think it was, but it didn't really. Do like the big thing. hit for um, Pink Floyd was Arnold Lane in England. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then that didn't do nothing in the United States. And I don't think Arnold Lane actually is even on the first album in either country. No, it's no, a single. it's not. It's just a single. Yeah. yeah. So See Emily Play was, was a single in England that was put on the U.S. release of the album. You know, it's always confusing. Oh, okay. So yeah, that is confusing because my version doesn't have that. Yeah. So, and I mean, I bought that back in the 80s. So I think I heard See Emily Play not on the Pink Floyd album, but I must have heard it on, the, on, on a when Bowie covered it. <laughs> when, I, when I sang it in the shower this morning. But no, not when Bowie, but when uh, uh, I must have heard it on the radio or somebody had a single of it somewhere. Oh, okay. when I heard it and when did you hear the Sid Barrett albums? Did you buy those when they came out? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. That's very interesting. Um, I bought a, in, in America... They didn't. The, the first two Sid Barrett albums were not properly released at the time. Oh. Um, only in in England and other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. I have heard of it just because I've heard of it, you know. Yeah. But but the first thing I bought was Capital Harvest, the record label, put out a twofer double album. That's what I have. Yeah. You have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was the the American U.S. release of the Sid Barrett album. Oh, I didn't realize album. those didn't come out separately. Yeah. Okay. Now, so that came out in sometime in the 70s. I can't remember exactly when. Uh, if anybody listening to our show thinks we're good at history facts, forget it. That's not what we're about. <laughs> it's all feelings and presence and our whatever we know in our heads. It's nothing, you know. <laughs> not even, not even, we don't even bother with Google research. We just, well, you know, <laughs> you can just go to Wikipedia for that information. Yeah, yeah. You got to, yeah, do yourself, listeners. <laughs> so anyway i bought the album that twofer and i bought it because of again not being a huge fan of pink floyd because i hearing these great stories about sid barrett uh, all the madness part you know yeah. all the all the parts where he goes on american band stand up some tv show and using your your your, your, your lip sniffing your, you know, you're, you're pretending to sing and he just refused uh-huh. to do it he just stood there uh-huh. to like Wearing sort of bizarre clothes, him doing bizarre, you know, meeting people. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's all the insane stories you heard about him. Right. And as a teenager, you know, rock and roll fan, I love that. Sure, sure. The mythology, the rock and roll mythology. The more messed up the artist is, the more fucked <laughs> up, the more drug addicted, the more <laughs> social misfit. Uh-huh. The more endearing that character is to me. <laughs> okay. And the fact that he was rejected by his bandmates at Pink Floyd made him even more lovable uh-huh. to me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I, I, I read, like, I think it was Nick Kent uh, who did an interview with him, as well as Mick Rock, the photographer. I think Mick Rock did an interview with him for Rolling Stone. 
Uh-huh. And Nick Kent did uh, for probably and New Musical Express. And I remember reading both interviews, and he was totally, you know, at the time, kind of half out of it or not. Definitely not on the same wavelength as the writers. Yeah. And both writers, again, sort of romanticize, uh, as they should, because they're writing about rock music, uh, uh, sort of his, his mental state. Um, mm. So at the time, my awareness of Sid Barrett was that he was, um, he had mental illness, or he was drug addict, or he took too much LSD, or he was schizophrenic, or he was just plain crazy, you know, and, and I, that really appealed to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did, that, did, that, did that have any appeal to you at all or this no. um well you know it's always it's always interesting when people um are creating in a alternative state yeah um, you never know what they're going to come up with but um i also found it very interesting because that's sort of the mythology that i've always thought of with sid but um, reading the um, introduction by Rob Chapman, and then yeah. I started reading the biography that he wrote. He really kind of pushes up against that mythology. Yes, he does. That's very interesting too. Yeah, yeah, and he talks about how the all this mythology about him being mentally um, incapable is, mm-hmm. you know, he says, well, no, he was doing all this stuff and doing that stuff, and he's theorizing that a lot of what it was is he just was sick of the fame. He didn't want to participate in the rock and roll game. Um, I mean, it seems to me that he probably did indeed have some mental health issues. I think, it's, especially back then, right. you know, we didn't have ways of right. the understanding that we have now. I mean, we're still struggling with that. I yes. still think, you know, we don't, as a society, have a good grasp on that. No, but not at all. Back then, definitely not. Um, but you know, but you know, as a teenager, I don't want that. I want the madness. I want you want the madness, me. right? You want the madcap. Jim <laughs> Morrison, you know, the the lizard king. You know, I don't right. want. I don't want to know about Jim Morrison, the alcoholic. I want Jim Morrison, who takes alcohol to open doors. Right, right. <laughs> then takes his pants off. <laughs> takes his pants off everywhere, anywhere. No worries about that. I would not do it because I worry about stuff like that. But not sure. Jim Morrison, not Sid Barrett. That's what I right. like. Right, it's the escape uh, fantasy. Sure. Yes. <laughs> sure. As I matured and become a gentleman, a more refined gentleman, of course, then I, you know, the, 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 the uh, Rob's book on, on the biography made perfect sense and totally, I was happy to obtain that information and I agree with him uh, fully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I first heard the, the Sid Barrett solo albums, uh, the both two albums at the same time, uh-huh. uh, well, not, I didn't play the two albums exactly at the same time. <laughs> I did play the Madcap Laugh uh-huh. and then I played, you know, the Barrett album. The second album in the, in the disc and uh i was so you know there's certain records that you hear you go oh my god and it was definitely an oh my god feeling yeah, I just, yeah it's like his voice the songs the the sort of fragmenting i was like oh my god this is a totally insane person making this record and i'm listening to this and it's like i felt almost like i almost felt like i'm listening like through a doorway or something or 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 you know or putting my ear close to a to the wall and hearing the neighbors, you know, like I'm hearing something really profoundly shocking and and beautiful at the same time. But like it was very, it, I mean, it didn't disturb me because again, I want my heroes to be messed up people. <laughs> but I was truly, truly loved his music and and what I can, you know, hear about his words. I thought, oh, they're so great. You know, there's something so um, 
insightful and beautiful and kind of surreal and you know totally like in his own world type of thing and he's not you know he's not like anybody else yeah he's totally you know he's Sid Barrett you know and that's a he's totally like an individual and I remember playing it for my father who never I don't think even well he probably heard Pink Floyd just like I did uh-huh. and he actually put up the headphones on and played straight through both albums uh-huh. and his only comment was pretty good <laughs> But from your dad, that's pretty. pretty that's pretty good. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and and we never talk about Sid Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, the narration of Sid Barrett. You know, he, after those two solo albums, um, either his situation got worse mentally, or he just dropped out of the music scene, the music business, and actually, and it seems like his social life in uh, in London, he distanced himself from other members of Pink Floyd, and so that whole part of his life, it seems like he left. He's from yeah. Cambridge, uh, raised in Cambridge. He apparently went back to Cambridge. Uh, some say he walked from London to Cambridge. That's what yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that mythology uh, as well. <laughs> uh, and and that's another beautiful you know rock and roll story. One will love to hear that. And he and he just sort of like just turned his back against the whole pop music fame world and. That, that you know that was a past life and now he has a new life and which is right. which is a bit of a mystery even after reading uh, the biography and various articles and essays about it it's still kind of a mysterious era eras or decades that Sid had um, yeah, back in yeah. Cambridge well I mean he trained as an artist as a young man and mm-hmm. I guess he went back to doing art but I don't know too much about you know his art i mean i've seen some of his paintings here and there online um and there's some in the book okay another great story i've heard i don't know how true it is um and it's almost you know this is a great artist story like we heard we're talking about great you know pop musician story as an artist he'll do a painting and then he'll photograph it and then destroy the painting oh i hadn't heard that story that's interesting yeah yeah i don't know how true that is though Huh. But I thought that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> technique. <laughs> and I think, I haven't seen, I've never seen this book, but apparently the um, the Sid Barrett estate um, put together a limited edition art book of Sid's uh, artwork. Yeah, I saw that online. It's real expensive. Very expensive. And, and I've seen glimpses of, you know, here and there. And through, you know, the decades, I've seen a painting here and there. And... Uh, nicely enough, um, though not not detailed at all, we see some of his artwork in the um, in the lyrics of Sid Barrett's book. There's some um, uh, artworks of visual art in that book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we should talk a little bit about the actual book. I mean, it's actually quite a nice book. Like so many lyric books, it's yeah. it's a very sort of fetish object. It's beautifully done. It's a hardback yeah. cover. It's got a beautiful textured cover um, with sort of a paisley design around a photo of Sid and then it's got supposedly the complete lyrics it's got 52 songs I was interested I wondered how they compiled the the lyrics if it was just from recordings um I don't know if Sid had any notebooks with lyrics um written down yeah I think it was it was and I I think Dave Gilmore of Pink Floyd the man who replaced Sid Barrett actually helped a lot in, in 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 obtaining the lyrics or documenting the lyrics in some fashion or manner right but there's 52 right. songs here which is what as far as we know is the complete yeah Sid Barrett works that are recorded um you know he didn't leave a great deal of um well he didn't leave a great deal of anything really after he passed yeah. away yeah, 
guess not. Um, so you just really have you have the you know you have the fifty two songs. You have various images of Sid Barrett, who I would have to say is probably I don't think there's such thing as a bad picture of Sid Barrett. No, no, he was a beautiful boy, that's for sure. <laughs> really a beautiful boy. Especially, I love all the Mick Rock photos, obviously. Yeah, and yeah, Mick Rock actually sort of built his whole early career. Well, he built on Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie, of course, and Queen. Yeah, yeah. But, but he was in there when Sid Barrett, in his solo, you know, Right Place, Right Time, or whatever the situation is, Mick Rock documented a lot of the um, Sid Barrett um, solo album um, era. Right, he did the cover for Madcap Black. Yes, uh huh. Yeah. And by the way, on Barrett, that the the image of the flies—that's artwork by Sid Barrett. Right, right. And the book has uh, some of Sid's art, and also the end papers have a little pattern from a a terrapin mm-hmm. uh, uh, that he did that Sid painted. So not. What, what's a terrapin? What, what's it's that? like a kind of turtle. Okay, and doesn't he have a song called Terrapin? Yeah, 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 yeah. My God, <laughs> that's a great song. I love that song. It's uh, uh, one of my many living room bands covered that song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the living room sounds. Yeah, remember. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and bike was one of the first songs yeah. I ever learned to play on guitar. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so reading this book, I read it twice. Uh-huh. I'm gonna read it many times um, in the future for sure. Yeah. Is um, you know, again, where where I I sort of love and taught and believe in the myth of of Sid is totally nuts and crazy and insane. <laughs> but when when I read this book, the lyrics straight through, I don't get that impression at all. Yeah. I what I get is a, a, a incredibly skilled writer. Um, I you know I like to keep it separate from lyrics and poetry, but you know this is pretty close to poetry as much yeah. as, as, as song lyrics and yeah. it's so beautifully constructed beautifully written it's so it's not work of a crazy person whatsoever yeah yeah i mean chapman talks a lot about that and you know he mentions the various influences that he had and and also he made an interesting comment about how he felt that sid was applying similar techniques to art that an artist would use to yeah. his writing you know yeah. and he said this this isn't a crazy thing this is somebody who's being experimental and yeah. you know trying a lot of different techniques and you know he said that he was good friends with the uh, British beat poets by Hawkins is that his name? yeah I never heard of him but yeah somebody was around yeah, that time yeah and you know he said this this is not a crazy person this is a very deliberate you know creative act that he was working on you know i think what is you know i think there's like people are hip around him people are not hip yeah and i suspect pink floyd are not really hip people Uh (laughs) seriously i don't i mean this is not a not a put down on them but i think the remaining pink floyd i mean i think you know i I like pink floyd and that it's not i'm not criticizing them but i think there's people in tune to sid barrett like the poets and you know peter brown who wrote lyrics for cream and is a poet himself uh, right away recognize Sid Barrett's uh, skills and talents. And so, you know, obviously, you know, Pink Floyd did too, but I don't know if they fully understood him as much as some other people did. Right. Well, I think anybody that's pushing the boundaries past an uncomfortable, uncomfortable zone, yeah, there's always a suspicion as like, well, what's wrong with them? How, what? This is crazy what they're doing, you know? And yeah. I mean, I, I think people say that about almost any artist that's yeah. that's going past what uh, is the norm. 
Right. And that's what Sid was doing. He was really pushing the boundaries of what pop music could be at the time. So what he did, um, among other things, is, you know, David Bowie has commented two things about Sid Barrett. One, he said he, he was one of the first singers who he saw on stage in recordings where he's actually singing in a British voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's an English person singing songs that are British. Yeah. And rock and roll. And you can hear the British accent, unlike yes, the Beatles or the Stones, who right. don't sound British when they're singing. Yeah, they want to do American thing, or they right. trying to do like American. Right. They're trying to be like American blues, which is kind of strange because because apparently I never heard the earlier. I mean, I don't know if they exist, but apparently Pink Floyd started as a blues band. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and clearly, I have I suspect there's a huge difference between Sid Barrett's guitar blues playing and say somebody like Eric Clapton's blues playing. Yeah, 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 I think so. <laughs> I think there's a huge river between those two. Yeah. Or ocean yeah. really. But yeah. then also Bowie mentions that he was as Bowie's memory is his first time he ever saw somebody on stage, a male wearing makeup, like wearing eye makeup. Right. And I can't remember if it was Peter Jenner, I think it was actually um Rob Chapman makes this point. I never thought about it till he wrote about it in his biography, as well in his introduction, that you know that Sid Barrett is more of a feminized figure in rock. He's not like a he's not a macho guy. Right. His songs are romantic, but they're not like a, there's not a, like a hardcore male presence, or definitely not like a toxic male presence. Right. He's a sensitive boy. Very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> Us girls, we like those sensitive yes. boys, <laughs> especially when they look like Sid. <laughs> doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. So that's kind of interesting. So, so Sid Bear's like one of the first. I mean, there's people who actually you know have like a gay thing, or they are gay, and they have they they have, they have a strong stage presence that conveys that. But Sid Bear is like one of those people who maybe almost like gender fluid. The gender is not an issue. Like, here's a guy. I'm a man. I'm Sid, and I'm you know these are my songs. It's more of a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a gender, you know, like a, a fluid a fluidness of the gender roles in the sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I almost even I don't get the sense so much that it was a gender issue. It was just him wanting to experiment, and he liked playing around with clothes and the way things looked and performance. It's just another artistic statement. Yeah. Know? I believe that's true. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that he was aware that uh, people would look at that and go, "Wait, what is what is he doing? He's a boy yeah. wearing makeup and, and frilly clothes." But I don't feel like he was doing it so much as an issue of uh, I'm going to fuck around with people's gender yeah. identity more as just an artistic statement, and he wanted to yeah. have fun. But who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I'm just surmising. Yes, as we all, as all we can do. Right, right. That's the fun of it. <laughs> That's the fun of it. And it's interesting to me that, that Pink Floyd, the band, never got over Sid Barrett. Yeah. I mean, the presence of Sid Barrett in that band is very, very, um, you, know, you know, I always felt that Brian Jones and the Rolling Stones was very, very important in that, uh-huh. in that band. And then when he died or left, the Stones did everything they can to basically move on or to change their sound to sort of more Americana, you know, blues, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Pink Floyd never um, forgot Sid Barrett. And, you know, and they definitely wrote songs about Sid Barrett or right. definitely influenced, not by his music, but the presence of Sid Barrett. So they used him. Um, 
And again, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying that using them sounds a negative connotation, but he definitely was a better word, a muse for um, mm. Pink Floyd as a band in the you know in the in the future or in the present. And maybe to this day, Roger Walters, who's a ex member of Pink Floyd, and Dave Gilmore. Um, well, Pink Floyd's not more anymore, I don't think. But but still, I I, I have a feeling they'll never ever forget. Right. The importance of Sid Barrett in, in their world. I thought it was interesting that they chose to organize the lyrics in the book um, alphabetically by song title. Yeah. And I was curious about that. I think my my guess is they chose to do that so as not to um, give any sense of his song development in the way that so the big part of the mythology is that you can hear his mental deterioration. Yes. His songwriting. Yeah. Um, and I think they wanted to avoid that. So, because yes. it almost gives it kind of an abstraction when it's done in this alphabetical. Yeah. Usually, when you get lyric collections, they're either sort of chronological or you know, yeah. by album, or uh, there's usually some kind of more time frame constraint in the organization. Yes. So, yeah. this really kind of takes you back and forth, back and forth, and gives it a kind of abstraction in, in the sense of his development, I thought. For me, it was very consistent. Like he's very consistent from the beginning to the end. Yeah, it didn't it, seem like there were jumps. No, no jumps, jumps and no drops. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, maybe in the Pink Floyd uh, first album, maybe the songs are kind of more narrative driven in a way. Right, know, like you know, the gnome. No, <laughs> and Arnold Lane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then the solos, that's more kind of more abstract or more. Um, I don't want to use the word experimental because I don't think it was experimental with him, but more um, modernist. You know, like James Joyce is a modern writer, you know, modernist writer. So is Sid right. Barrett. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, he did a James Joyce, um, not a song, but uh, he, he used James Joyce's words as a lyric to one of his uh, songs on the solo album. Um, but it, yeah, it's sort of, so it's interesting that he, yeah, is this basically, you know, his presence so strong in, 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 in that culture. And, um, and as I read the, uh, the Chapman uh, biography, I mean, I agree with him because, you know, this is not, he's not a nutty guy, really. I mean, he had mental problems, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was issues that he had to deal with, which we don't fully know. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, there's no, there's no official doctor report or psychologist report. Yeah, about I don't think he'd ever been diagnosed with anything. No, yeah. Because it sounds like to me, when you think about it now, it sounds like, well, maybe he was autistic, which is very... Yeah, I've heard some people say, I think I saw something, I can't remember now where, where his sister uh, said, well, we're all, all of us are somewhere on the spectrum. Um, Yeah, yeah. So that could be like a family, you know, a family issue. And I'm sure him taking LSD, which I heard he was a huge fan of apparently, uh, did not make things better. But I think he probably had issues, mental health issues beyond you know or before the lsd or drug stuff you know yeah yeah. um you know as a again as a teenager i really the importance of him taking drugs and him being crazy was a big part of my (laughs) and i didn't like the rest of pink floyd because they're not as crazy as sid barrett (laughs) 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 they're not interesting to me Uh, as i got older and i read the the chapman's great book um it's it struck me that you know this is you're really selling Sid Barrett short following that narrative because he is a brilliant songwriter. He wrote brilliantly crafted songs, and his lyrics are not only superb but they're like really well written 
lyrics or poetry or literature. And the lyrics of Sid Barrett totally exposes what a craftsman he was or craft person in, in his work. And, and this is not a work of a, a raving lunatic or a nutcase. This is somebody who's very, you know, who spent time working and, and on, on his work to make it, it is what it is. And um, that's the beauty of this book. I think it's really an excellent book because, um, you know, we, we, we've done books on lyrics before and we're both fans of that because when you hear a song, that's one thing, but when you read it on a page, it, it has a different texture or a different, yeah. you know, feel. and some musicians hate that. They don't like it. You reading their lyrics and that is totally yeah, yeah. understandable, but still um, there's certain artists that really benefit from reading on a page. And Sid Barrett, without a doubt, is a beautiful artist on a page, on a, on a, on a written page. Yeah, I think so too. And it's interesting because he has such an interesting way of singing um and so reading it is very different from the way he would sing things. Yeah. Because um, his timing and uh, the meter and everything in his songs is when you read it. I, a lot of times when I read lyric books, it's very hard for me to read them without humming it. You know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the song so well that I'm kind of singing it in my head while I'm reading it. But I found it was easy to read these lyrics without doing that because it's uh, so the way he would sing would be, you know, he'd pause in the middle of a phrase or, you know, sing, sing a word out really long. And, yeah. Um, so when you're reading it, you don't always do that. So, yeah, definitely um, is a different experience and a very enjoyable experience to read. And I really admire him, actually, for his his stance to change his life, the way he wanted to change his life. The fact that he just turned his back on the music world and to you know, to go back home to be a visual artist, really. I mean, he never stopped working. Right. You know, he didn't vegetate. He, you know, he, he had a life in Cambridge and he did visual work. He did visual art of all sorts. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's that, cra- I mean, for some people, that's crazy. You turn away your, you know, a successful career. But obviously, it wasn't working for him or he couldn't deal well, with it. It was a rough life, especially back then, and yeah. especially when you were just starting out. You know, the touring schedule was just so grueling. And, um, you know, and I and obviously he didn't enjoy the fame. And um, it's funny, I was watching um, that British uh, documentary that the um, that Pink Floyd is in. What is it called? I sent you the link to it the other day. But uh, there is a funny clip of uh, Mick Jagger just like getting molested by all these women. And I'm thinking, my God, like, that's just a horrible uh, way to be living your life. I couldn't stand that, you know? I think if it was Sid Barrett, though, those women would not be um, rushing at him. They would be going to him to to, to give him a massage on his back or shoulder. And cradle his head if he's upset. Uh, uh, I've never understood why women do that. Do they think that the the guy is going to be, oh, yeah, I love this. Will you marry me now? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like the most uncool thing to do. (laughs) I got a choice. Either tackle them down (laughs) like a football player or soccer. Or you hug them. (laughs) Oh, boy. I just don't think Sid could stand that kind of fame and that, you know. Well, this is interesting. I'm a, may I read a lyric from Sid Barrett? Sure, sure. This comes to the subject matter. Um, it's Vegetable Man by Sid, um, which I think is a 
a Pink Floyd era song that never made it to a final, right? Um, yeah, like a B yeah, side or something. Released it later, yeah. But here's him clearly talking about being Sid Barrett music figure, uh, Vegetable Man. In yellow shoes, I get the blues. So I walk the streets with my plastic feet, with blue velvet trousers, make me feel pink. There's a kind of stink about blue velvet trousers in my paisley shirt. I look a jerk. And my turquoise waistcoat is quite out of sight. But oh, oh, my haircut looks so bad. Vegetable man, where are you? So I change my gear and I bind my knees and I cover them up with the latest cut. And my pants and socks are bought in a box. It doesn't take long to find nylon socks. The watch, black watch, my watch, was a black face and a date in a little hole. And all the luck, it's what I got, it's what I wear, it's what you see. It must be me, it's what I am. Vegetable man, where are you? I've been looking all over the place for a place for me. But it ain't anywhere, it this ain't anywhere. Vegetable man, vegetable man, vegetable man. He's the kind of fella you just gotta see if you can, vegetable man. And so that's him sort of like really confronting, to me, the way I read him confronting the pop stardom or his role as a, as a, as a musician or a pop singer in the, you know, right. in that world. Right. But, so but it's also superficial. You yeah. Know, what am I wearing? And yeah. But, but for a crazy guy, quote unquote, his, his detailed description of clothing mm-hmm. and, you know, and yeah, that's a description of the clothing is quite, I mean, it's really remarkable writing and what does bind my knees i never understood that lyric what does bind my knees oh yeah so i change my gear and i bind my knees and i yeah. cover them up with the latest cut now i know gear means clothing and yeah 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 maybe 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 bind means bind my knees maybe like keeping his legs not open but closed okay <laughs> made a sexual connotation sure sure all right well if any of our <laughs> listeners know what that means do inform us it is but vegetable now it's interesting that his lyrics are very british you were talking before about how you know bowie said he was the first person he saw who was so you know saying in a british accent and i feel like mm-hmm. his uh all of his lyrics feel very british you know he's definitely got that lewis carroll uh sensibility with the or edward lear uh-huh. yeah yeah, yeah. His lyrics definitely go back to that era or that style of writing, and yeah. it's very and it's very steady. It's not like um, it's I mean it's, it's obvious that that's where that's the reference point of, of his work of those lyrics is from that right. era of Edward Lear and yeah, yeah yeah. Alice and I love Lear. that you know, like Lewis Carroll, his uh, lyrics can appeal to children and adults. You know, they have yeah. different meanings uh, depending on where you are in your life and listening yes. to it. You know, like something like bike. It's a great song for a kid, you know, it just feels kind of like a nursery rhyme, but obviously, you know, you can listen to it and get other meanings from it. Yeah, Bike is an incredible song. I love that song. <laughs> yeah, I love Bike. Can I read Bike? I'm going to read Bike. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm into the poetry mode now. Because Bike is not, a, for, for a hardcore Pink Floyd Sid fan, Bike is, you know, essential classic. But for a casual Pink Floyd fan, they may not know it or... Because it was on the British album, not the American release, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. can you imagine not having bike in an album? Jeez. No, geez, that's like one of my all-time yeah. favorites. So here you go, uh, Bike by Sid Barrett, read by Tosh Berman. 
I got a bike. You can ride it if you like. It's got a basket, a bell that rings, and things to make it look good. I'll give it to you if I could, but I borrowed it. You're the kind of girl that fits in with my world. I'll give you anything, everything, if you want things. What a seductive line, no? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got a cloak. It's a bit of a joke. There's a tear up the front. It's red and black. I had it for months. If you think it would look good, then I guess it should. This is sort of the, you know, the Edward Lear aspect. Right. You're the kind of girl that fits in with my world. I'll give you anything, everything, if you want things. I know a mouse, and he hasn't got a house. I don't know why I call him Jared. He's getting rather old, but he's a good mouse. <laughs> You're the kind of girl that fits in with my world. I'll give you anything, everything, if you want things. I got a clan of gingerbread men. Here are men, there are men, lots of gingerbread men. Take a couple if you wish, they're on the dish. You're the kind of girl that fits in with my world. I'll give you anything, everything, if you want things. I know a room of musical tunes. Some rhyme, some ching, most of them are clockwork. Let's go into the other room and make them work. So, you know, when you read it, it reads like a poem or literature for children. Yeah, it's like a nursery rhyme. But it has a dark sort of seductive quality to it. Yeah. And I like the fact that he has a bike and he wants to give it to you, but he can't because he himself borrowed it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which is sort of a tease, you know, sort of like a seductive tease, like here, oh, I can't give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) But the generosity is there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's as generous as possible. Because for the girl, you know, the girl who fits in his world, I'll give you anything, you know, everything if you want things. If you want things, he'll give it to you. The girl who fits in his world doesn't need those things. Well, he doesn't have anything to give. (laughs) Because again, he has the bike, but he can't give because he's involved in himself. But he's got Sid. (laughs) So, you know, so this is like, this is very logical. I mean, this is a very logical piece of work. Uh-huh. So he's not, you know, it's not, there's nothing insane about it or, you know, it's eccentric. Right. Because the British are eccentrics, as we know. As, as, our, as our British listeners know, they know they're, they're eccentric. But, you know, it's the mindset is very clear. And again, the precise way he uses words. I mean, it's so beautifully written. I mean, I love reading out loud his, uh, the book. I think, mean, you know, it's really enjoyable to read out loud. I think this is. Highly recommended for uh, all Pink Floyd and Sid Barrett fans. It's a, it's a must-have book. Yeah, and actually, I would recommend it to anybody who loves poetry, especially like the New York School of Poetry, people like John Ashbery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think, I mean, those are American, but there's something, you know, Sid is very observational as well. Like, New York poetry is very, like, observational. And, you know, I talk about, right. like, Frank O'Hara talks about Coco and Marilyn Monroe. And Sid is not pop culture orientated at all that in his own way he's very observed his, well it's his world that he observes and it's not really like our world a different world but it's not a world of madness or 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 uh, a weirdness more of a, a a world of of another world of another era another time it's all based on actual literature of the past Right. I always feel like there's a real sort of jester quality to Sid, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense that the jester was the one who was always really 
in a clever way pointing out what was going on, but, you know, sort of taking the piss, as they like to say in the UK. What do you feel is the son's daughters or the children or the distant brother of, or sister of Sid Barrett? Is there anybody you think of musically um, that was, well, of course, influenced by Sid, but actually try to be Sid Barrett in a way. Oh, uh, well, I mean, uh, the obvious one is Robin Hitchcock. Who... Yeah, no, this, I'm glad you brought it up because I'll be, it'll sound... You, you, I, that's what you wanted to... <laughs> yeah, because that would be really mean of me to bring it up. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're not a fan. I'm a huge I, fan. I actually, I, I think I, Robin Hitchcock is a very, very skilled, really good songwriter and singer, yeah. like soft yeah. voice. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh-huh. the only thing he has, I feel, a weakness is that he wants to be Sid Barrett. Yeah, it was funny because I hadn't really listened to Sid Barrett in a while. And so, of course, you know, this past week I've been listening to a lot. And uh, it's like, yeah, Robin Hitchcock really does sound a lot like Sid Barrett. <laughs> it's like usually people, when they're influenced, they kind of, you know, their early years, you can really hear the influence. And then eventually they kind of get their own voice where yeah. Robin Hitchcock, I mean, I think to a certain degree he's gotten his own voice, but not as much as one would hope. He, st- he still sounds very Sid Barrettish. Yeah, this is a problem between, uh, well, it's not a problem. I mean, he's very successful. He's very successful and he has a lot of fans. And I'll definitely get a lot of hate mail or email from him. <laughs> well, I love Robin Hitchcock. I know, you love, I, it's, it's Tosh that has a problem sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Robin Hitchcock has a new lyric book coming out. <laughs> does, he, does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just ordered it. Yeah, he's selling it on his website. So. Well, we're, we're definitely going to review that, right? <laughs> actually you know, this is very interesting because this, this, for any artist or anybody who writes or makes music they usually have somebody that they aspire to or love uh-huh. now the problem is you know and David Bowie is another figure you know you can you can make a record that sounds like David Bowie you can imitate or adopt a Bowie fixation here or there or, or sound but and same with Sid Barrett but you will never be David Bowie and you will never be Sid Barrett Right. You know, and it's sort of like there's something it's interesting. You either like when you do music and you're influenced by somebody and you're inspired by somebody, you either sort of do imitations of that person. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's perfectly good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that because that's how you learn how to do what you want to do as well. Right. That's as, how most people start. And, and yeah. it's also an honest way of complimenting another artist, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Sid is that he's such a unique voice. I can't, you know, I could write something and, and imitate, you know. Sid Barrett, but it will never be Sid Barrett because I'm not Sid Barrett. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not in his mental state or in his, you know, um, and this is nothing to do with madness or, or his schizophrenia or autistic. It's just basically more, you know, his character is so freaking strong yeah. in his work that you can't, you know, like Frank O'Hara is another one. I could, you know, people can write a Frank O'Hara poem and it might be a good poem, but nevertheless, it will never be. It's just sort of an imitation or or a shadow of a Frank O'Hara right. poem. And and I think Sid Barrett's the same. It's you know he's just a God given genius that he, and he is a genius. You know, there's, I think there's you know there's not a, there's there's not that many geniuses in pop music. There's a lot of well crap, well written songs by really exceptional singers and artists. But there's, I think, minority. There's very few on a genius level who can't help but being this brilliant. And Sid Barrett is one of the few artists that I feel is 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 on that genius level. Whatever he does is genius. Yeah. I think even his paintings, what I've seen of it, is a work of genius. Yeah, he was pushing the boundaries. Yeah. Sure. So when somebody who admires somebody 
and you know try to be sort of eccentric or you know it doesn't come off that well for me because it just reminds me how brilliant that the original artist is mm-hmm. so yeah that's my feelings about it <laughs> and i do like i do like robin hitchcock's music what you know what i i heard all the soft boys and i heard his early solo stuff but and they're very good but this yeah. is this I'm I'm not I'm using it as an example, but there are other artists who do the same thing, and you know. Sure. And kind of thing that was to be fair. What other artists do you think are influenced by Sid? Um, well, I guess Kevin Ayers in a funny way. You know, Kevin Ayers. Sure. Well, was, David Bowie too. Yeah, David I mean, Bowie too. David Bowie was definitely influenced by Sid. Yes. I mean, he took it to another level, but it's definitely an influence. Yeah, Bowie took it on a Bowie level, which Bowie does with everything he's influenced by. I mean, especially like the early Bowie stuff that's kind of that, you know, yeah. that same uh, borderline Renaissance fair kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of that early Bowie stuff I'm not that keen on. Well, um, the, the, the even stuff like The Man Who Sold the World has. Yeah. Sort of Sid, you know, Sid Barrett. Over overture overtures or yeah so the lyrics of Sid Barrett published by Onibus Press uh, with introduction by Rob Chapman forward by Peter Jenner uh, both texts are essential reading for this book and uh, so we both love this book it's a superb it's a really it's a great book thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Book Music. Next time, we're going to be discussing You Are Beautiful and You Are Alone, the biography of Nico, and we will be having the author with us, Jennifer Otter Bickerdyke. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Yes. Um, And that should be a lot of fun. Nico is another one who's got a lot of crazy mythology, so that's right up your alley, Taj. (laughs) In book news, we we really want to just deal with the difficult... Semi-obscure, not really obscure, but, but <laughs> iconic as well at the same time. That's, that's what we specialize in. Yes, exactly. Yes. So follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all the latest news. And we have playlists for all of our episodes on Spotify and Apple Music. And you can find links to everything on our website at bookmusic.com. B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. So thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.